Welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Indie Podcast. The podcast is just a fortnight old and already I've had some fantastic guests on. And what a guest I've got today. Radio DJ and music journalist Jim Gellitley. Jim, it feels like a wee bit of role reversal here. You're normally the man in charge of the interviews, but uh, today the shoe's on the other foot. Hi, well, thank you very much for having me. I, I mean, you're obviously running out of guests already. Three episodes in, you're scraping the barrel, eh? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I can assure you this is one that has had a, a great reaction and one that I'm very much looking forward to. What I'll do to start, and I've done this in the, the previous two episodes, we'll get the standard question out the road relating to the pandemic. How have how have you been coping? How is the family coping? Well, of course, I hope. Yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, my my family sort of scattered all over the place. So my, my youngest son's um, he's at home with us. I've got a, a kid at a uni in Dundee, another one working in London. So don't get to see them very often, um, which is a shame. Things like Christmas sort of out the window, but uh, you know. I, I don't know how we would have coped if we didn't have video calling and stuff uh, during a pandemic. It's uh, that that's been a, a lifesaver that you can still be in touch. I mean, I'm probably more in touch with my mum um, on on um, FaceTime now than I was pre-pandemic. You know, every couple of days now. But uh, no, it's it's strange times, and hopefully. Uh, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I've had my first jab waiting for my second, and hopefully come September, the likes of Transmit will happen. Sadly, it doesn't look like we'll get to go to any football matches this season, which is a shame because that's my other passion. And in terms of the, the industry itself, music has, has obviously suffered greatly during the last year or so. Gigs were still waiting for the green light. But there's been a lot of music released and artists finding inspiration through these difficult times. Well, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's been a it's been a very it's been unprecedented times, but it's also been a a very um, constructive time for the creative industries because they've had to discover new ways of doing things um, and, and getting through it. And from a creative point of view. Um, p- people have really excelled and you know there's as much if not more new music floating around which seems incredible if you'd if you'd said there will be everything will be shut down there'll be no gigs or whatever mind you it, it's given people an opportunity to sort of go away and just work on their art as it were and post-pandemic there's going to be so much emerging and uh, they will be struggling, struggling to fit all the bands in, in the venues. Hopefully there will be venues um, to, to play the gigs that they're they're all promising to come back and play. So um, I, I think it's had its positive aspects from a creative point of view. Yeah, it has been quite a surprise, I suppose, that we've not had lots of songs about sitting in the couch or the Tiger King and things like that, but we seem to have managed to thing stray is, away we, from that. thing <laughs> is, we have, and I, I managed to filter most of them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't send them on in my direction, if you don't mind. We'll don't worry, on. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about your, your first phrase into 
the industry. You started off as a, a volunteer, I believe, on Maury Firth Radio before heading on to North Sound in Aberdeen. How would you reflect in those times as you were cutting your teeth in the, the industry at that time as well? Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether um, I wanted specifically to get involved in radio. I think uh, radio was a means to an end. Music was my main passion uh, when I sort of discovered music and started getting to bands maybe in my early teens um i started going to live gigs hanging hanging around as well used to go to a a night at fat sam's in dundee called the dance factory um which was sort of a weekly alternative music night it was like a disco and live bands saw some incredible bands all the sort of bands starting to break through would would play that as part of their tour um, and would hang around after the band had finished by the dressing room door, hoping to go and meet the band. And we did that many a time. And oh, oh, and when I was discovering music, listening to John Peel, listening to Peter Easton on BBC Radio Scotland, um, you know, taking wee notes of what I was going to go into Groucho's in Dundee and by, um, I, I, you know, my, I, I think. I if I wasn't on the radio and I did this, I, I'd want to spread the word about all these amazing acts. And the best way to do that, I thought, was either being a journalist or being on the radio. And radio is a lot easier than writing generally. Um, so I sort of fell into it. I went to do a media studies course at uh, Perth College and started writing to various radio stations I think uh, I think I got three positive replies and I ended up working for these three radio stations eventually down the line but I ended up as you say going to Murray Firth Radio for two weeks work experience in Inverness and ended up staying about two or three years and eventually got paid for doing stuff albeit in the office but then did various other bits and pieces as well so it was quite literally making the tea but in my first week I was on air as well reading out like what's ons and lost pets and things so right in there at the deep end and learnt so much because you're when you're like volunteering and you're doing work experience you learn by your mistakes and you're just left to get on with it as well as getting trained by people who know what they're talking about and you know it's incredible looking back i mean there was recently a book about the early days of murray Forth radio uh, that was released and reading that it's just like fascinating because i'm remembering all these faces and all these names and there's a hell of a lot of people that were at murray Forth radio in the late 80s when i was there who are now you know household names in terms of like radio and indeed TV, because um, they've gone on to bigger and better things. I was about to say they've gone on to bigger and better things as well, but I I resisted that temptation. <laughs> I think I think you would be more than entitled to to add yourself into that mix. And I want to talk a wee bit about the the frequency one zero six point one. That's a a frequency that has been quite prominent in your your radio career. You. You had that short-lived period of time at uh, Beat 106, and then you moved on to London uh, 
for the internet-based project Pure Mix, that must have been one of the first ventures of that kind, uh, an internet-based radio station. Oh, it was a great idea. So the concept of Pure Mix was it was loads of different radio streams. But what made it different from things that we have now, like Spotify and the likes, where you can have your playlists and things, is you would go onto this website and it would ask you what you liked. It would play you clips of music and you say, I like this, I like that. And then it would gear you towards a specific stream. So my job at Pure Mix was to sit in a radio studio along with a bunch of other people and what's called voice track radio shows. So I'd be doing an extreme hip hop show one minute, smooth jazz the next, uh, and then maybe a metal show or a pop show and doing the links and um you would go onto this website and it would gear you towards this particular stream that would give you the sort of music that you would like the issue with it really was that um broadband didn't really come into force so we were still on uh, we were still on dial up <laughs> And yeah, that's was, what I was thinking. It, it was have... quite it was quite tricky to actually access. I mean, nowadays we get everything on our phones. It's ridiculous. Never would have thought about that in uh, 2000 when Pure Mix was kicking around. But that's 21 years ago now. It just seems wow. I mean, for me, it seems like yesterday. But I mean, that was that was great fun. It never really happened uh, due to broadband not rolling out as quick as people maybe thought it would. But it was it was it was a great experience. I, I was lucky enough when I was down there. I'd left um, when I left. Well, when I was kicked out of Beat 106, uh, they'd always said, oh, you could still do one show a week, which I couldn't because I'd, I'd moved from Aberdeen to Glasgow to do radio and I couldn't really sustain one show a week. So a full time job in London was a good thing. But I was coming back at the weekends anyway because I had a season ticket at Dens Park. So I would um, I would come back. Uh, I mean, my wife and family probably thought I was coming back to see them, but then they probably <laughs> clocked that it, it was it was every fortnight that I was coming back, and it tied in with the football matches and the Dundee home games. But um, no, I, I was at. A, a, they'd always said you know do one show a week, but I I was at the. Uh, strangely enough, I was at the XFM Christmas party in Leicester Square. And I bumped into my old boss and he said, well, come back. If you're coming back at weekends anyway, coming back and do a show on a Sunday. So I did that. And then when Pure Mix sort of wound up, um, they created a new slot for me at Beat 106. And I returned to Beat 106 after about six months doing a late night slot. Um, so it, it it all came back and it all worked well. I had my wee time in London, living in a horrible mouse infested bed set after after a while initially when i first moved down i was staying in a uh, so, uh, at the same time i moved down uh, a record label called hook and bellboy from uh, aberdeen moved down with a band called lift from aberdeen so i i bided with them for a wee while before i got my own room in a bed set um and yeah and they created a, a show for me when i returned to to scotland so uh, that was good. And then uh, and eventually further down the line, Beat 106 uh, moved away from some of the dance music and more towards modern 
rock and alternative stuff and was rebranded as XFM. So I was totally in heaven when that happened because that was right up my street. And then <laughs> then that changed hands again or, or was rebranded again, became Galaxy uh, and it, well, it's currently Capital. Yeah, but, I can remember the, yeah. the excitement of that. The the, what, the excitement of it becoming capital. No, the, <laughs> let me finish, please, Jim. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the no, the the launch of XFM was was massive because we didn't have a an alternative radio station. I I related to a time where I had just passed my driving test. I listened to to songs that I loved on the radio. It was. It was a foreign concept before that point, almost kind of like the, the alternative music channels in the late 90s and the early thousands, where you were you were switching on the TV and seeing songs that you loved. And it was it was just magic. It was a I know it was only a, a two year period where XFM exists in that format. Of course, it came back as Radio X or, or XFM Scotland, rather, a bit further down the line. But the, the chance for you to play bands that you love on mainstream radio, that must have been a, a very exciting thing. And, and doing it in Scotland as well. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, my passion has always been for emerging Scottish acts. And, I've, you know, I continue to do that today on, on Amazing Radio. But um, no, I mean, the show that became the beat scene um as it's just you know people still have you know great stories and there's there's nothing there's nothing better when people say oh you introduced me to this band that band whatever or i wouldn't have heard the fratellis had it not been for you the, f- the fact of the matter is they'd have heard them anyway <laughs> because they'd have broken anyway and it was i i was a very small uh cog but um no it's, it's people people have you know great memories of of that and also when you're young and you're discovering music you know you remember where you heard something for the first time and that's lovely and i i you know get a chill down my spine when somebody says thank you for introducing me to so and so even if i'm thinking to myself aye right i yeah it's not like i was the first person to play oasis or whatever but you know i might have been the first first person to play them that they heard so yeah, it's good. It makes it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. <laughs> Make, makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> well, in terms of a band that you mentioned there, the Fratellis are a band that I heard for the first time. Creeping up the backstairs was a song that you played on your show on XFM. Another band that was introduced through yourself was The View, and I'm going to sidetrack a little bit and discuss The View because it seems a bit timely that on the day that we'll find out whether the Snuts have, have managed a number one album in the UK charts, they would be the first band since The View to, to achieve that feat. Now, the, the journey... With a, de- the, with a debut record, because I was I, I was reading this and I was thinking, oh, hang on, hang on a tick. Mogwai had a number one earlier this year. I, so I double-checked and, it, yeah, it was, it was a number one with your debut album. Uh, Mogwai took 25 years to get to number one. <laughs> yeah, of course. And that, that was something that I must admit when I heard it on the, the STV news the other day, it was the first thing that I mentioned. <laughs> that Hold on, is that is that quite right? But the, the, there's been, a, I think there's been five or six actually in the, the years that have passed. 
in terms yeah, of Emily Sandy, uh, Calvin Harris. Yeah, there are quite a few. Was Capaldi uh, another? Oh yeah, I forgot about him. Well. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's done badly. He's not done sold badly. <laughs> but the emergence of the view, it was, it was mad times, wasn't it? The the following, the atmosphere at the gigs, any time they played tea in the park, and the the thing I can remember about it is you weren't only there for it all. You would bump into you at the front of the gigs as well, so you weren't you weren't just uh, watching on from the side of the stage. Yeah, I mean, thinking. I can't, I can't remember which was my first View gig, because um, I'm pretty sure I saw them at King Tut's. I saw them at the art school, um, and the art school ones one I'll always remember because um, I was pretty sure that everybody that was there had come on a bus from Dundee. And I was probably one of the few people who lived in Glasgow, even though I'm from Dundee, uh, that was at the gig. And that, that might have been the first time I heard the View is on Fire chant. Um, that was a that was a pretty special night. Um, and a pivotal time for me with the View was seeing them. I've, I've still got a wee 10 second video clip of my son, who's now 21, when he was just a wee tot dancing to the view and dancing to wasted little DJs at the uh, big week, radio one, big weekend in Dundee. Yeah. I remember that. I was there. Camford down park. Um, So, I mean, that, that for me was just fantastic. was in my hometown. I was seeing a band from Dundee going down an absolute storm and thinking, Hey, these guys might get somewhere. Uh, actually, I think that was the. I think Paolo Nettini had played the big weekend as well, and uh, Brendan, Paolo's manager at the time, passed me a CD and said, I, I, "This is this is his debut single." I said, "All right, okay," and I think I might have been one of the first to play Paolo um, with the release stuff. I know he'd done some stuff in the in the past and demos and things. So he he'd been a name I'd heard for a long time, Paolo Nettini, because he was always playing King Tut's, but I'd never seen him. I don't think until uh, and and met him until uh, the big weekend in Dundee. But yeah, no, the view. I'm just you know, um, and then another time with the view. I actually on my my stairs, I've got a picture, uh, a lovely uh, black and white photograph of the view playing at Coco, uh, the nightclub in uh, London when they were when Hats Off to the Buskers was uh, nominated for the XFM album of the year. And I, I was lucky enough to be on the, the panel for that, um, along with uh, Nicky Wire, uh, Paul from Maximo Park, um, Connor, the NME, NME editor at the time. It was quite a, quite a cool panel to be on, sat in a London pub discussing music. Uh, but um, The View, uh, all, all the bands that were nominated performed at, at this ceremony. And uh, I think The Enemy actually won it that year, possibly can't remember but uh no so, somebody gave me a, a this lovely uh, black and white print of of the view performing like on the balcony an acoustic thing at that gig and that that was just brilliant seeing a wee band from dundee playing this big sort of show busy event in london was cool they certainly seemed to to reciprocate the the respect and the, the opportunity that you gave them in terms of giving them that airplay because they they often name check you and they're a band that has shown they've got longevity. I don't know whether when they burst onto the scene 
you'd have foreseen that 14 years later we would still be discussing a band like The View, but they've certainly hung it out and they've done fantastically well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what what's cool is uh, uh, as well is you know that gives people the inspiration to form their own bands. So I think there's a natural progression from bands like The View through to bands like The Snuts with that. Because um, I remember when I was a kid, when The Proclaimers came along, they were sort of, they, they were almost seen as a novelty because they were singing in their own accents. And now that seems ridiculous. Now, if you hear a Scottish rock band singing in American accents, you just think it's ridiculous. So uh, I, I, I think bands like The View have been pivotal in sort of pushing things forward and uh, giving us an identity as a nation as well uh, and something to be proud of. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. See, around that time, the, the festivals, you remember Teen Apart just being a, and XFM a really championing Scottish music at the time as well. That for me is, is just a, a brilliant time of, of my life, I think, back to it. was Everything was exciting. Everything almost kind of felt like Scotland was taking on the world and, and winning quite easily. Uh, the atmosphere at every gig you went to was just off the chart. It was just a, it was a magical time. It really, really was. I can't remember a time where music felt quite as fun as it was round about that that time of 2006, 2007, 2008. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, a 15, 16-year-old now discovering something, be it rock and roll or be it dance music or whatever, will probably say, say exactly the same thing in, like, 15, 20 years' time. So it, it's being there at a time. I, I always think, you know, if somebody asks me, oh, what's your favourite era? And I would say probably... It probably round about the time I was discovering music and I was going into Groucho's in Dundee and I was buying the second hand Public Image Limited and New Wave compilations. Um, that that time in sort of 85, 86 would probably be an important time for me from about 1983 forward. And I look back at these years fondly. Um, so I think it, it, it has to do with age. And as we know, music is often... Um, cyclical so when I started DJing in the late 80s the 60s was a everybody was looking back at the 60s as this golden age and I think it's a 20 year thing so we always look back 20 years I'm talking about 2006 2007 that's almost 20 years ago so and for yeah and and the scary thing is kids now who are into because i remember going to see the the view at um the abc with my daughter and it dawned on me that a lot of the crowd weren't around you know they were just bairns when when the view first emerged and yet they're still attracting a young audience as well as us old buggers and I, I think that's good if you can still because you see a lot of so-called heritage bands. It doesn't it. You know, it's the same audience. They've just got older. I remember going to see uh, the Levelers in Glasgow a few years ago 
and it was exactly the same crowd. They just, they just less hair, <laughs> less hair and bigger beer bellies. And there wasn't much of a, a younger audience there. In turn, you go and see bands that are have still got an essence of credibility. I'm not saying the levelers don't, um, but you will get fathers and sons at gigs, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, when I first started going to gigs, I mean, I'm about 52 now. I could never imagine a 52-year-old at Fat Sam's watching watching a band um i could certainly never imagine you know a, a father and son or a, a mum and a daughter going to a gig together so things have changed and you know but then if we think about it you know when 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 my mum and dad were kids you know rock and roll wasn't even a thing <laughs> so so, I mean, rock and roll is only a fairly recent thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant evolution, isn't it? And I, Absolutely. I when we talk about the, the stats, just a quick one on them. It's it's a fantastic story, isn't it? And th- this is a band that have, have very much paid their dues. They're on the brink of a, a number one album. If they don't make that, they've still got things like Three Nights at the Battlelands to look forward to, a, a sold-out UK tour. And the world is, is basically in the palm of their hands just now. When we get out this horrendous pandemic, they'll be able to take the album on tour and, and take it to a whole new audience. It must be the most exciting thing uh, for the guys there. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I'm I'm so, so proud of the snuts. Um, I, uh, when my daughter was... Uh, um, college um she she was she was studying radio at college a few years ago and they had to as part of their course put on a gig uh so they booked out uh, nice and sleazy and the snuts were one of the bands she actually booked for the for the gig at nice and sleazy and I, I think that's pretty cool that she was in her and her classmates uh, 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 at college put on the snuts that's a good one for her CV, anyway. Uh, absolutely, and I, I, I was very proud as well when they had said that their the fondest gig memory was the Muddle Civic Centre as well. So I'm, I'm hoping that when the American press and everything else get hold of that story, there'll be people making pilgrimages to M&Ds and the, the Civic Centre in the years to come. Well, but, they, are, is it only the ones they played the Civic Centre? Yes, I believe so. Cool. Um, well, I was at that gig. It was it was incredible. It was really just bonkers because I, I I live in Canvas Lang, so Motherwell's fairly close to me. Uh, so that that was that that was just some night. And I also that was the first time I think that I saw Spires, who are another of my favourite bands. That's always the thing about going to see gigs and seeing up and coming bands. Always keep an eye on the support. I've seen some incredible support bands over the years um, who have gone on to slightly bigger things. I mean, when I first saw the Killers at King Tut's, they were the support band. <laughs> yeah, and whatever happened to them? I know, I know. Well, my, my wife's a massive Killers fan. She's got a signed Brandon autograph beside her, beside her bed. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about bringing it back to you to yourself jim uh, 
I'll go on to talk about a, a slightly less impressive honour, but in, in terms of you were hanging about with Nicky Wire and, and Paul from Maximo Park, so it was no surprise that you were included in the Razzies Hot 100 in 2007. Oh, yeah. uh, Aye, I forgot uh, about that. A, a man yeah. with, with real influence, and then a year later... Hey, I tell you, I was... Uh, I don't know if this is what you're going to mention as well. The Evening Times did a list of the 100 most powerful people in Glasgow, and I made that. <laughs> I did not know this, no. Yeah. My research has let me down here. Aye, that's uh, that's pretty bonkers. <laughs> and then, then, but hottest, hottest, and the hottest list in the Raz. Uh, I don't, I don't remember what my wife thought about that. <laughs> who won? Um, I mean, he's not available. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to find out who the winner was for that. Uh, if the Raz could get in touch, <laughs> the the John Peel Award the following year, though the outstanding contribution to music. I don't want to to talk you up too much while you're you're on the line here, but I, again, what a incredible honour, and I thoroughly, thoroughly think you deserve it. Uh, you must have been gobsmacked by that. Yeah, that was great. It sort of coincided with my fortieth birthday as well. Um, so, so it was. It, it was it was uh, it was a real honour because uh, as I joke all the time, you look at the list of people that had previously won the PRS John Peel Award for contribution to music radio, and looking down the list, I'm the only person I've not heard of. Because <laughs> I mean, it is it's it's literally I mean John Peel himself had had won it and it was renamed uh, in his honour. Uh, but you know, it's just like Chris Tarrant, um, Johnny Walker, Kenny Everett. Just they're all household names, bar me. Uh, what was the what was the the presentation like in London as well? You must have been whining and dining with some some really yeah. Well, it was like people. it was it was. I can't even remember if there was any bands playing. Oh no, I I what I I remember. Um, PRS handed it was it was like a music radio sort of conference event type thing. So it was at Indigo Two, which is part which is a, a nightclub within the O2, and um, up comes. Uh, so so I was on. I came on after Gary Barlow had got his award, and Gar- Gary Barlow gets presented with his award for the most airplay or something. So he comes up and. He said, "Right, thank you very much," and then walks off. And then I, I did about a six, seven-minute speech, thanking everybody in the world except the wife, which I wasn't happy about. But uh, but big surprise for me was that John from the Fratellis popped up to present me with the award, and I was like, "Wow, I wasn't expecting that at all. Never knew he was in the building." So that was very cool, very cool. Gary Barlow, uh, adequate support act, I would say, but not. Uh... I'm not quite sure he was worthy of, of sharing the stage with you that night. Well, uh, I, I I think, uh, Gary, well, at least uh, Namon, who was presenting it, pronounced his name right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a, it's possibly a, a little bit more straightforward for for those down south. But there we go. The August 2008, yourself and a number of staff left. XFM after the announcement that it would be becoming 
Galaxy Scotland. And as I was making some notes for this podcast, I was I was thinking back to that time, and I feel like it was a wee bit of a turning point. That radio station that had provided the excitement that I described earlier on in the the episode that was obviously going away. Things like the NME as well, circulation was dropping. There was talk about that eventually being stopped and it would go on to be an online publication. The things that had become a, a staple of that couple of years began to disappear. Was there a feeling of a, a bit of deflation that after building up or being part of building up that project, it oh, was fallen by the wayside? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, we, we saw it coming. Um and there were rumours of sales and stuff, and they actually, <coughs> excuse me, they actually they actually fought it for a while, and and then it was uh, taken over and and rebranded. Um, but no, it was it was it was like a death of the family because it was it was something that I was so passionate about. Passionate about. I mean, I remember when XFM first launched in London. You know, my demo was straight in the post. Uh, I never got anywhere with that, but um, you know when 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 XFM came to Scotland, it was just like wow, this is you know an alternative radio station. This is this is so me. And when a radio station I was already working for was rebranding as XFM, it was just absolutely perfect. Um, and it 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 was cool as well. It was a great team, and you know very sad. I mean, a a a lot of the team are sort of still working in radio and stuff, which is good. But I mean, it's um, it was uh, no, I I was absolutely gutted, and I, I was delighted that, that you know I managed to to get another radio gig not too long after that. Uh, Jeff Szynski, who'd actually been he, he'd been sort of the junior news guy, one of the the news team at Murray Firth Radio when I was when I was there and he was in charge of um, BBC Radio Scotland I had to chat with him and uh, they had a show and they were looking for another presenter and uh, I jumped on board and, and got involved with Dabster Productions um, uh, who were uh, producing the show and uh, they brought me on board to co-present uh, the music bed on BBC Radio Scotland so it, it that was nice and that turned up and that that again you know that that was um, via a guy that I'd worked with uh, back in the late 80s in Inverness yeah so it, it's kind of testimony to the the advantages of having that introduction that while it, it might be quite I don't, I don't want to say underwhelming, but you're a very small part in a, a bigger machine at the time. You mentioned reading out these adverts on air, making the teas, but you got your foot in the door. And I think that relates to, to a lot of areas of, of both broadcast journalism and also journalism in the, the written sense as well. That opportunity sometimes is all you need, that, that door to open. Because when you've got yourself in that right circle, it can really lead to a lot of good things for you further down the line. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the stuff I've done, it's sort of, it's just fallen into place nicely. Because I think, as I was saying before, I, I didn't know 
exactly what I wanted to do. And there's a few twists and turns in my career over the years where I've I've applied for things and not got them. Maybe things to do with production, um, commercial production, um, and other and radio training and, and things. Um, because I, I wouldn't have, I didn't know if my future was in broadcasting. I thought it might be behind the scenes or maybe uh, working at a record label or something like that. Uh, I've dabbled in all sorts. I mean, I've been involved in little indie labels and things in the past as well. Um, but no, it's uh, it's just it's fascinating how things turn out. And I can't believe that after 30 odd years, being a bumbling idiot on the radio, unable to string two words together that I've managed to get away with it for so long. <laughs> but, you know, my my USP, I suppose, is the fact that um, I'm passionate about the music. I'm not the slickest radio presenter, but, you know, I know what I like and that's what I want to get across and that's the sort of music I want to share a lot of people get into radio with maybe ambitions to get into the telly or to do a breakfast show that was never my ambition says he who's currently presenting a breakfast show but you know my my passion and my enthusiasm wasn't for radio wasn't for broadcasting it was for the music and I would like to think it still is and I can't believe I'm still playing new music on the radio after 30 years and, and that's exactly what you've continued to do on Amazing Radio, the Unsigned Show. You've always been, and you've mentioned that, you've always been someone to champion Unsigned Acts and you continue to do it right up until last Sunday and you'll do it again. Uh, well, what do you Sunday know that I don't show? know? <laughs> <laughs> right up until last Sunday. Ah, that's me. I'm done. <laughs> well, that, 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 that was the last time. <laughs> Episode of your amazing radio show. <laughs> Fair news. <laughs> I've, I've not seen your mail. I, I can. I promise you. <laughs> I better check my email. I've not been given the bullet. <laughs> that would be really awkward. That would be a horrible way to end this. <laughs> oh, this that, would be this would be a good a, a good uh, a good legacy for me. Bow bow out on the Scottish Indie Podcast. That's good. <laughs> That's me officially announcing my retirement. <laughs> Although that did. That did happen a few years ago in an NME piece. Um, it was a Q&A with um, Simon Neal uh, from Biffy. Uh, they were asking him questions about Biffy Clyro and about himself. And one of the questions in this NME spread was, who gave you your first play on the radio? And he said, ah, it was Big Jim <laughs> at North Sound in Aberdeen. I think he's retired now. <laughs> <laughs> that was about that was about ten years ago. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> did you ever manage to get a right to reply to that? Uh, well, I, I've seen him a few times since. So I, I've I always forgotten to mention it, <laughs> but I think it's hilarious. So I've got that cutting. <laughs> I take it though that as playing new music, it, it, whether you're the first one to play them or, or just kind of giving them that extra push is that where you get most of your satisfaction from giving these bands airplay and almost seeing what happens you've, you've lit the torch fire and what happens after that uh i guess depends on 
on those that are listening to the show and how they consume their music? You know what it is? is, is it's, a, it's a good thing to hang on um, to be able to say that, you know, I, I, I was among the first to play a certain act or whatever, because it gives kudos to the new stuff that's coming through. And, and folk that are maybe playing for the first time saying, wow, Jim's playing us. He was the first person to play Biffy Clyro. Uh, and, and, and that's cool. So that gives me, I think that gives me a bit of longevity <laughs> but because people, because of that can never be taken away. But uh, I, there are many bands that have fallen by the wayside that should have been massive. And that as i always say it isn't down to them not being very good it's down to the public uh, uh not having as good taste as me <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the return to text fm as xfm scotland you you landed a more prominent role there uh you were hosting the the drive time show and and things seemed to be going along nicely it was it was almost a hybrid wasn't it of of the xfm london model uh with some scottish djs thrown in there uh yeah i mean there were there there were really just three of us um and a few other people sort of coming in occasionally so there was uh, tom russell who'd sort of been inherited from rock radio who were on the frequency previously uh, and uh, fraser thompson who'd been with me at beat 106 and xfm the first time round as well um so um i at the time when um, xfm scotland mark ii launched i was working for bauer uh, doing a network show uh, across all the bauer stations in scotland except murray firth um so i was on i was on tay i was on fourth i was on north sound i was on west sound uh, i was on clyde doing the show from clyde show called in in demand on cut on a sunday night uh, which was a, an incredible opportunity. I mean, that that's probably one of the biggest platforms I've had. Uh, but, you know, the temptation of uh, going back to XFM and doing five shows a week, I could not turn that down. And, you know, I jumped at the chance to go back to XFM. Shame it didn't last very long. But, I mean, it wasn't the same as it was first time round. As I said, it was a much smaller team. And it was mostly network from London. But, you know, to be back under the XFM banner was brilliant. And again, gutted when I was told I was being let go when they were rebranding and Chris Moyles was coming in on breakfast. I mean, to be honest, I think that's worked quite well. Um, And, you know, XFM becoming Radio X was probably a, a good thing, ultimately. But it's just a shame that they handed back the Scottish license. They handed back the Scottish license and Ofcom re-advertised it. And then I was part of um, the the rock radio group that actually won the license. I was doing some stuff with them. And um, sadly, they couldn't really fulfill it. Um, so it never happened. And it became Nation Radio, which is, yeah, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> <laughs> the... I can remember the the final the final show on uh, on XFM Scotland, and you hosted the the drive show, and and you you did seem genuinely emotional about the the end of a an era. I suppose 
that second opportunity to, to come back to XFM had arisen. Did you know at, at this point, though, that, that that was it? It was as, as far as XFM as a, an entity in Scotland on the Scottish airwaves was, was pretty much gone? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Radio X is, is available uh, on, the digital on, on DAB. Um, but, and the, uh, you know... I, does it make a difference if it's on DAB, if it's on FM? Possibly not now. Maybe did at the time. Um, it does when you drive a car as old as mine. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I've only, I've only just um, in this past year got my first car with a DAB radio. It's just, it's great to have all that choice. Um, but then, you know, I listen to a lot of internet radio in my car as well. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's, the the way we consume our radio has changed dramatically. But yeah, end of an era, most uh, most definitely. But you know, yeah, you know, things move on. <laughs> and we'll bring it we'll bring it right up to date. You've you've got your your piece in the the Scottish Sun, uh, regular music column, and also the the British Forces broadcasting um, morning show as well. So you continue to to thrive in your your industry and your environment how how is that going yeah yeah that's good it's uh it's a totally different thing for me because i mean in terms of the musical um the music playlist i mean it's it's a formatted radio and um, so i don't really choose the music i'm working as a broadcaster that's why uh and, and working with the armed forces community which is a a, a steep learning curve but you know, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but I can still fulfil my passion for the new music uh, through amazing radio. So um, yeah. I've got the best of both worlds, really. That's fantastic. Good. And outside of music, you touched on it earlier on. The the passion for Dundee Football Club still remains. Uh, I wasn't going to mention them after the, the Scottish Cup last weekend, but a, a very positive result against their United uh, midweek. So. You'll be hopeful yeah, for the, you, you, the remainder you, of the season. You, when you emailed me, you said I'll not mention James McPake. What <laughs> happened to James McPake yesterday? He got manager of the month. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's uh, that tends to be the case. So I'll predict something happens and completely the opposite will occur. Uh, but that was good timing. Uh, you'll you'll obviously be hoping to to return to football stadiums, just like you will music venues in the not too distant future um, when it's safe to do so yeah yeah totally um i uh i mean i've not i i mean i don't go to even when when i mean i gave up my season ticket a while back because it was just it was just getting quite uh, expensive not not the season ticket but just traveling backwards and forwards to to dundee every second week so i, I mean, the truth is I, I probably in the past few years have gone to more away games um, uh, when Dundee have been playing in the West Coast than I have actual games at Dens. I mean, I've only been to a handful of games at Dens in the past few years, but yeah, I'm desperate to get back to Dens and soak up that atmosphere. And hopefully one day um, we, we can have a, a new stadium and it would be, uh, Jim Spence wrote a, a good piece in the Dundee Courier recently about how Dundee and Dundee United should get together and have a shared um, stadium. And I absolutely agree with that. I think that's such an obvious thing to do. And I, I hope that happens. I'll miss Dens because, I mean, it's got, you know, a lot of history and 
you know, my family were were involved with the club from oh, the the 50s um, through to sort of the 80s. Um, so, I, I mean, Dens is very important to me. But, you know, a, a nice new stadium that could be shared between Dundee United or even better, um, the club's amalgamate. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. They amalgamate, they drop the United bet, and they play in dark. <laughs> they play in dark blue, and uh, everything's rosy. <laughs> uh, that, that's an interesting take, and one that I'm not 100% sure yeah. the the team across the road will agree with too much. Well, but, I mean, it's like I mean, it's like if people who say Dundee and Dundee United should merge, you're you're immediately going to lose a about half the people that would never step step over the line uh, and you ain't going to suddenly double your crowd uh, i mean that is just not going to happen i mean the, the people will maybe look at um the inverness thistle and inverness caledonian merger but you know that enabled them to make the massive leap and ultimately end up in the in the premiership from the highland league this is totally different. This is like saying, I well, you know, let's amalgamate Rangers and Celtic. You know, yeah, come it's, on. It's, it's, put, it's put the middle finger up hundreds of years of history combined. It's, uh, it's yeah, just shared, a, a non shared, shared stadium, yeah. Amalgamation, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll finish on the, on the music, of course. And the, the question I've been asking all my guests so far is, it's three acts that we we may not have heard, but we have to hear. Uh, I'm sure that you'll have a, a great list from your your extensive knowledge of, of unsigned acts and, and breakthrough acts in Scotland, and as well as the amazing radio show. So if you've got three there, Jim, I, I appreciate that that will be a difficult question. But just Wow, here's a challenge. And this is likely to change every time I think about it. Um. So let me have a go. So I've, I've mentioned them earlier on. Uh, saw them supporting the Snuts. So Spires, very excited about them. Starting to get some traction as well. Um, young band, girls and boys. Um, they're great. Um, ooh. Yeah, you're right. It is tricky. Uh, heights, I, I've got a lot of time for. And... Uh, I like the fact that a lot of their demos and early recordings were uh, worked on in Dundee, despite being a Glasgow band. So Heights, certainly check them out. And uh, a third one, uh, Swim School uh, from Edinburgh. Um, very exciting young band as well. Oh, man, I, I can't I can't leave it at three. <laughs> it's so frustrating. I mean, I love, I love Baby Strange. I love Tijuana Bibles. Um, they've been around a bit longer. Uh, I, I love, um, I love pretty much everything that's coming out of Seven West Music, Seven West Studios, Seven West Records in Glasgow. Um, so if if, the, if if rather than pick three bands, I would say go and check out everything that's coming through Seven West because that for me is one of the most exciting. Um, labels and um, studios in Scotland at the moment. And a, f- a final one, I appreciate so much your, your time uh, over the course of this afternoon, especially when you had to, to be up so early today. The the moment when the, the doors opened to King Tut, so the, the Barrowlands, and 
you kind of smell the, the smells of the burgers up the stairs, uh, just the oh that the, smell the atmosphere. Oh uh, yeah, the smell, the onions, and uh, oh god, and the, and the, uh, the, the yeah, because in that same area, you just step two meters away, and you're standing outside the gents' toilet, which stinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Barrowland is priceless. I'm I'm so ga- glad that I've got my Barrowland T-shirt that I bought. Or a visit there once could you wear that with pride it's so iconic the the neon lights outside when i got some new photos done uh for the sun recently i i suggested getting them taken at the barrel my idea being it could be they'd be taken at night with the lights lit up but they're not it was taken during the day um but still just to just stand there in front of the barrel just so cool actually and uh, there's a big snuts tour poster round the corner as well so i got some some pictures uh, there at the same time albeit those tour dates have long gone and been rescheduled yet again but you know so the snuts and the barrel land are two two things that tie together uh, for for my latest promo uh, pics for the newspaper but yeah yeah oh i can't, I can't wait to go back to the barrel land just uh, so many iconic gigs that i've been to there you know the Going right back to seeing the likes of the Beastie Boys, the Ramones, Iggy Pop, you know, Oasis, Primal Scream. So many great gigs at the Barrowland. I wish, I wish, you know, I envy Billy Sloan because Billy Sloan would tell you the date and the venue of every gig he has ever been to. He's probably got a notebook or whatever. I just wish I could remember every gig I've, I've been to. And we'll be watching something on the telly, and I'll say, oh, what a band. He say, yeah, do you not remember we went to see them at the Barrowland? I said, no, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what's fantastic when you're, when they open the, the exit uh, beside the bar at the opposite end. Oh yeah, going down yeah, because you got all all those posters and you go oh yeah, I was at that Wonder Stuff gig, um uh yeah uh yeah that, that I mean that is if anybody if anybody goes to the Barrowland once it reopens don't go out the way you came in go out the back stairs beside the bar out almost like the fire exit and you'll see all these posters going right back to like the eighties. Because, I mean, because the Barrowland, you know, as a gig venue, didn't really operate until until the 80s. Um, I think it was the Simple Minds Waterfront video that that sort of relaunched it and it became a venue. Um, So, yeah, all these incredible posters from back in the day. Just wow. Jim, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, good luck with the podcast. Hopefully you get somebody better for episode four. Well, I, I think that will be a, a very hard act to follow, put it that way. Thank you for having me and have a, have a good week, have a good life and I'll see you on the radio. <laughs> Top man, Jim. Thanks again. <laughs>